Amen. Please have a seat. God's Word starts in the beginning, God. He doesn't explain Himself. He's not running for God. He didn't one day become God. He has always been God. And then it says, God created. Not because He had to. He wasn't lonely, but He wanted relationship. He is a relational God. He was before He created human man and woman. The triune Godhead was in relationship, and so He created all things. And then he creates Adam and Eve. In the very image of God, he created them male and female. He created them, is what Genesis 1 says. And then Satan slithered up. Guys, that scene, as hokey as it may seem, is where all of our troubles not just started, but start today. You see, our fight is not just against our flesh. Our fight is not just against a world system that is anti-gospel. Our fight is against the God of this world who thousands of years ago slithered up to the people that were the image bearers of God and convinced them to rebel. And since then, we have partnered in that rebellion. And yet, God is still doing a mighty work on our behalf. You see, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that the gospel is going forward except that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel that is the glory of Christ Jesus, who is the image of God. He is darkening people's eyes. So how do we fix that? Well, one of the things we're going to see today and actually in the coming weeks, because we're, after this week we're going to be back in Revelation, is Daniel and Revelation are where God is pulling back the veil and letting us get a glimpse of the real reality that's going on, the supernatural part of his creation. Because we're going to be back in Revelation and where we're going, this is a really good time, like starting next week, to invite new people into the family. Because we're going to kind of turn the page and see what God is doing now until Christ comes again. Today we're going to be looking at the message I entitled, Seeing the Supernatural. And I just want to say, supernatural is not a bad word. Meditation is not a bad word. God's people have always had a rich history of talking about the supernatural things and meditation. Just because Eastern mysticism and the New Age movement, which were corrupted by Satan... They are part of a demonic influence. Just because they've corrupted those terms doesn't mean we shouldn't use them. Because the Bible does. Jesus talked about the supernatural. Don't let our Western pragmatism close your eyes to what we're about to see today. So the question becomes, how do we see life through spiritual eyes? And in our invocation passage that Jeff read, Paul tells us, we pray. We pray that the spiritual eyes of our heart might be enlightened so that we will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We pray that we would see the supernatural, that we would see all of God's creation, including the parts that are otherworldly. Right? We pray that he would open our eyes and pull back the veil and, and let the scales fall off and turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that we would see spiritually. So how do we see life through spiritual eyes? 
Well, the first part that Daniel's going to show us in Daniel 9, so open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, is that we have to see the power in praying his promises. Now, we have a lot of Scripture to talk about today, but I'm going to add a little bit to it because I want to back up. Before we jump into verse 20, I want to start where we left off last week in verse 17. Because if we don't really remember what Daniel was doing as we were as we, last week, we won't really appreciate God's response that we're going to look at this week. So in verse 17 of Daniel 9, it says this, So now, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications, and for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation in the city that is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merit of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. You see, Daniel was praying that, his, that God's people would repent from their sin, including him. We spent last week, we brought our, our cards to the cross and, and repented before the Lord because that's how revival comes. And he's asking, revive us again, oh God. They were exiles waiting to be returned. And he'd been reading Jeremiah, and Jeremiah said, in 70 years you're going to go back. And he's doing the math, and he's like, that's coming any day now. So let's, let's make it happen. We are exiles awaiting his return. And so he is telling us through Daniel and through Revelation what that is going to look like. So we'll pick it up in verse 20, which is the passage for today. It was today's reading. I really pray that you guys are reading these passages before you come to church because it'll really help prepare your heart. They're on the back of your connecting points. You can get them emailed to you. There's lots of ways you can get them. They're on our Facebook page. But if, if you're not doing that, you're, you're missing out by not preparing your heart for what God has for you today. Because it's not what's coming out of this mouth other than the, that's what's coming out of this word that is going to change your life. So now he says, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people, so while I'm speaking, while I'm praying, I'm confessing my own sin, I'm, I'm laying it all, I'm repenting. He says, And the sins of my people, presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking. So he's in the middle of praying. The man Gabriel, that's an angel, who the, angel, the same angel that came to Mary, who I have seen in a vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instructions and talked to me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. Do you see what that's saying? Because you were praying, our Heavenly Father has sent me to come to you. Just, you're not, I can tell by the look on your faces that some of you aren't getting the, the, what, what that's talking about. Just let that sink in a little bit. Gabriel, would Gabriel have come if Daniel had not prayed? Not according to this verse. At the beginning of your supplication, the command was given, and I have come to tell you that you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and to, and to gain understanding in the vision. So here, picture the scene. Daniel's praying, he's repenting, he's laying his junk and the people's junk before the Lord, and up comes Gabriel. Not just an angel, Gabriel. And we'll talk more about what, why that's a big deal in a minute. Da, get, get, guys, but get, what is Daniel praying about? He is praying, 
I just read in God's word that 70 years. God, show me when the 70 years is coming. Let that come soon. And he's going to bring Gabriel, and God's saying, you know what? This is way bigger than 70 years. I'm going to show you the rest of human history. I might pray this 70 years, God. And God's like, yeah, Doug, you got to get a bigger picture because I got the whole thing laid out. Now look at what happens. What we are about to see is one of the most powerful promises of Christ in all of Scripture, written 500 years before Christ came. Pick it up in verse 24. It says, 70 weeks has been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Guys, who does that sound like? When it says, he's saying in 70 weeks, and we'll get to what that means in a minute, the time will come to finish transgression. The time will come to make an end of sin. Who made an end of sin? Christ, the only one who could. This is what differentiates Christianity from every other belief system in the world. Christ did it. Now pick it up. In, so he's talking, he's, God is giving him a glimpse of there is one coming that is going to annihilate sin. And then in verse 25, he says, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, so from the time that Cyrus says, go, go back, until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be 70 weeks, or I'm sorry, seven weeks and 62 weeks. And it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in the times of distress. Verse 26, then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the Prince that is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And it will end, and in the end will come the flood even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Guys, remember what we talked about back on our August 11th? So that was a couple of Sundays ago. I, talked, I taught on prophecy. What, and and the, the title of the message was, What is the Point? Or something like that. And it was the idea is, what is the point of all of this prophecy in the Bible? The bottom line is, the point is to show us, not to, get us, not to have us figure out all the details, but it's to show us that God is in control. That hundreds of years before Christ came, God called his shot and fulfilled it perfectly. That's what this is in here for. Right? Now, I don't want you to get lost in the details, but these particular details are pretty awesome. So I'm going to quickly show you what, what Gabriel is telling Daniel is going to happen Hundreds of years after Daniel's dying. He's like, this is awesome news. It's not really helping me personally, but it's awesome news because God's in control. Prophecy is just history before it happens. That's all it is. That's what, that's what we see here. So here's the, here's the point. In this, in this 70, he starts in verse 25, 70 weeks. The 70 weeks is broken up into three, three periods. Seven weeks, um, 62 weeks, and one week. Now, the word week in Hebrew is just group of sevens. That's all it means. So what he's saying is, in seven sevens, 49 years, this is going to happen. And in 62 sevens, this is going to happen. 
Now, people that are way smarter than me have done all the math and figured it out, and they have come up with this, or they, they have figured out that if you take the, that 7 plus 62, kids, what's 7 plus 62? You can put the slide up. I'm not sure where it's at, but um, what, what is it? 69. Okay, if you take 69 years and you multiply that out by the number of days using either the Jewish lunar calendar, which is what Daniel would have been following, or you would, be, or you would use our Gregorian calendar but get rid of the leap years and all the other stuff that we do to mess up our calendar, which is why we have to have things like leap years, right? And, and you take that, it comes out to... 173,880 days. 173,880 days. 483 years is that many days. Now, I'm going through this fast, so you can go do the math, or you can research it online. There's all kinds of great resources that have done this math for me and for you. But here's the important part. Remember, Babylon comes and takes over God's people and takes Daniel and his friends back to, back to Babylon. At some point, God, 100 years before he's born, God says, this man Cyrus is going to come and he's going to release my people. Cyrus dies and, and, and the king who takes his place in the Persian Empire is Xerxes. He's the king when Esther was around. Esther, or Xerxes dies and his son Artaxerxes becomes king. Artaxerxes, all three of those kings released God's people over a period of time. From the time Cyrus did, Xerxes and Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes makes the final command for God's people to be released on March 14th, 445 BC. Now you say, okay, so, 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 so what is this 173,880 days? Guess what happened on April 6th of 32 AD? Jesus for the last time, arrives in Jerusalem and he weeps for his people. The number of days between the time that Artaxerxes, this pagan king, says, okay, the final decree to be, to be restored, to the time that Jesus rides in on the donkey and begins what we call the Passion Week to redeem us from our sins is exactly... 173,880 days. Now let's keep reading. Verse 27. He, he, he transitions to this, but the Messiah will be cut off. He'll be crucified. And this desolation are determined, the end of 26. Now 27, it says, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will, be put, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offerings. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out, the one, I'm sorry, the, the one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolation. You see, there's this gap of time between the 69 weeks, the 17, or 173,000 days, there's this gap of time between the last week, which is seven more years. That gap is where we are living, the church age. And we're going to get into all this in Revelation because once we, we're going to be in Revelation 5 next week and then, Lord willing, we're going to start looking at what's going on during that gap in Revelation 6 through 19. The church, when, when 
in these end times when this desolation happens and then is made um, and then is conquered by Christ. But in the meantime, this is where, and I just want to, I'm not even going to talk about it. This is where verse 27 is where the Old Testament affirms the Antichrist is coming for a period of, he may already be here, for a period of seven years, he will establish a covenant with God's people. And halfway through that time, so what verse 27 is talking about, he will turn on God's people. And three and a half years after that is when Christ is coming back again. And I'm going to leave that there because we're going to be talking a lot about that in Revelation 6 through 19. But guys, this is why we're doing the two books together. Because, the, because what Daniel is talking about here, John is getting revelation to in full in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. What I want you to remember is two things. One, the, the end of the tribulation ends with Christ's final return the end of all sin, and the establishment of his kingdom on the earth forever. And guys, Christ told us this was going to happen. In, in Matthew chapter 24, it says this, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give up its, sight, its light, and the stars will fall from the heavens and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the, son of, the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. This is his second coming, his second advent. The clouds of heaven and power in power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from the end of the heaven to one another. So Christ is, calling, Christ is just affirming what his father has said 500 years before he was born, right before he goes to the cross. Because I just want you to stop for a minute and think about this. Think about all of the moving pieces that had to take place for that promise to be fulfilled on the exact day that he said it was going to happen. Nations had to rise up and fall. Right? I mean, just like think, think about, think about just, just the act of of raising up each of those kings and then bringing them down. Guys, think about just, just from the time Jesus was born, when Gabriel comes to Mary. In, in that time frame, at exactly the number of days that he said, and Jesus is 33 years here on earth walking around physically, he has to prepare some disciples, including Judas, who betrays him, so that it all works together on that day in April of 32 AD. I mean, come on. Can God handle your problems? Right? Like, like, I mean, is he, and not just handle your problems, is he actively interacting in the lives of people? We have this idea, even in the church, that somehow God spun this thing up and, and now he just leaves us to figure it all out. Guys, the only way this worked is if he is actively intervening in people's lives. And he's still doing it. He didn't stop. That's the God that we serve. So what should we do? Well, we should pray. Right? We should pray a lot because that's how Daniel, that, that's where Daniel got this vision. He prayed and the angels were sent. And then the other thing we should be doing in the meantime is shine. Guys, we have got to shine and share the gospel. Do you get that, 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 that the word for angel just means messenger? Gabriel is a messenger of God and so are you if you're Christ's. So am I. So is his church. And we partner together. And that's what brings us to the rest of the message today. 
So how do we see through supernatural eyes? First, we have to see the power in praying His promises. The second thing we have to do is we have to seek to experience Him in powerful ways. We have to seek to experience Him in powerful ways. So we're going to transition to chapter 10, and yes, we're going to get through the whole chapter today. Look at verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel. I'm going to stop there. So I'm not going to stop this often, so it won't take us this long. But two years later, so the scene we just saw in chapter 9, two years later, now chapter 10 is coming. What is Daniel doing in the meantime? We, we, just, we just turned the page from 9 to 10 and went by two years of Daniel's life. Here's what Daniel's not doing. He's not just sitting around waiting for the next great spiritual experience. He's just doing what Daniel does. He's reading God's word. He's praying earnestly and fervently. And he's serving the king of Persia to be a light in that court. Right? He is actively involved in his community to shine brightly. Because that's part of how God is giving him this revelation. Guys, 90% of life is just showing up. Like seriously, 90% of life is just being there. Being there for the person that is hurting and really being there. 90% of life is just making time in the morning to read God's word. 90% of life is just making the time to go, okay, I'm going to stop in the middle of the day and I'm going to quiet my spirit and I'm just going to pray. Are, are you doing those things? 90% of life is just showing up to church on Sunday. Right? It's, it's in the being there, in showing up, that God works. What we want is for God to work, so we'll go. I said it last week. God was at work in Daniel through his disciplines of, of godliness so that he could work through Daniel. We too often go, just work through me, God, but I don't really have time for this, this, and this, and this. My life is too crazy, my family, my business, my, my school, my fill-in-the-blanks, and yet we want God to show up. God showed up to Daniel every time in the midst of him doing something with and for God. Are we prioritizing the things of God so that he'll show up? Look at the, we'll start, pick it back up in verse 10. I got to keep going. Sorry. So, two years later, it says, a message was given to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. That was the name that was given to them by the, him to the Babylonians. And the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of a vision. Now, I'm going to go through several verses, so keep up. Verse 2, in those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. How many days? 21 days he's been mourning. Guess what? Look at what mourning looks like to Daniel. I did not eat any tasty food. I did not have any meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any anointment at all until the entire three weeks was completed. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was on the bank of the great river, of, of, on the great river, that is the Tigris, I, let, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold. So get this. He is praying and fasting for 21 days. In just the midst of some two-year period of living life. And it says, And there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with, with a belt of pure gold or uphaz. His body was 
like Burl. His face was the appearance of lightning. His eyes were flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam and polished bronze. And the sound of his words were the sounds of many, uh, were the sound of tumult or um, of rumbling. Who does that sound like? Who showed up? Jesus. This is the same vision of Christ that we saw in Revelation chapter 1. When John's sitting there and all of a sudden it's like, bam, I see sword, tongue of sword, eyes of flame. So he is seeing, not an angel right now, he'll get there. He's seeing the pre-incarnate Christ. And then it says, Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. It's interesting how eerily that sounds like Paul. He's on his road to Damascus. Jesus shows up. Not an angel. Jesus shows up. Everybody else is laid flat. He's knocked off his whore, or his donkey. Everybody else is laid flat, and they all run away because they can't hear or see anything. But God calls, Jesus calls Paul into service for him. Same thing is happening here. It says, So I was left alone and saw the great vision, and yet no strength was left in me. For my natural color turned to a deathly paler, so you turn pale, and I returned and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words. And as soon as I heard the sounds of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Daniel was praying and fasting for 21 days, and Jesus shows up. Now, why? Remember what we talked about last week about fasting? Guys, guys I'm not, so I taught a little bit about it last week. I'm not going to spend any time. But, but, but if, if you're not hearing from the Lord, maybe it's because you need to clear the channel. So I don't know what your thing is. Maybe it's Oreo cookies. Maybe it's Girl Scout cookies. Maybe like me, it's, it's a bag of chips and salsa. And I could mouth through an entire bag of chips and salsa like in a jar of salsa in, in one sitting, no problem. And man, is that good. <laughs> but here's the problem. It's good for nothing. There's no nutritional value. So then when Carrie says, hey, here's dinner, do I have an appetite? No, because I just filled up myself with junk. It's the same thing with godly things. All fasting is is removing the junk so that you're hungry for what really is healthy. So that's what Daniel was doing, and God shows up. But guys, we better be prepared when God shows up because he shows up powerfully, and we haven't even seen the really crazy part yet. Guys, nothing good in this life, nothing good in this life comes easy. Nothing. Except one thing, salvation in Christ. You have to do nothing for that. Except confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Everything else takes work. Guys, you will never lose weight by chance. Right? You're not going to get in shape by accident. You're not going to learn to play an instrument by chance. You're not going to have a Christ-exalting marriage by chance. You're not going to raise godly kids by chance. You're not going to have a, a strong walk with Jesus by chance. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice. It just does. We sit and we pray, God, if you would just make this easier, I would follow you better. And he's saying, no, it's in the hard that makes it good. Anybody can do nothing. Anybody can binge watch Netflix. Can you open up your Bible and read my word and hear my voice? 
But we better be ready because when we do that and, and ask to seek him in powerful ways, he starts doing some things that make, that make you uncomfortable. And I'm speaking about me. Prayer to, we, we had prayer time today, right? Pre-service prayer or the prayer and worship from 9.15 to 9.45. And it went till almost 10 o'clock, as many of you saw. And there's that part of me that's like, oh, wait a minute, that's not our schedule and blah, blah, blah. And then I have to just stop and go, hold on. It's okay. Amen. Right? It's the, if, if I'm going to trust that the Spirit's going to show up and do something different like we prayed for in our house last night, then I better be ready when he shows up and does something a little different. I don't like that. I don't. I'm uptight. Where's Chad? Thank you for saying amen. Yeah. <laughs> Last week he said amen. But it begs the question. Guys, it does beg the question. How much of our prayer life, how much of our like, spiritual walk should be focused on supernatural things? Be, be focused on what's going on in the heavenlies. And my only answer to that is more than I do. Like how often should I pray for the angels? How often should I pray for the battle that's going on in the heavenlies? The real answer is more than I do. Which brings us to our last point. How do you see life through spiritual eyes? You see the power in praying his promises. You seek to experience him in powerful ways. And then here's where the fun really starts in this passage. You stand for the one or ones who stand up for you. This is probably the clearest view. Now, Paul writes a lot about spiritual warfare in in his letters to Corinth and in his letter to Ephesians, but this is probably the clearest image of, of the impact and partnership we have in it. So let's pick it up in chapter 10, verse 10. It says, Then behold, a man, a hand touched me. Now this is a different hand. So Jesus see, comes, fall flat, flat on his face. Up comes his hand to touch him. Like, hey, brother, you can get off the ground now. And set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel... Man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have been sent to you, and when we, and I'm sorry, and when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. So the angel is strengthening him. And then he said to me, don't be afraid, Daniel, for from the, now get this, and listen, listen out, no, we don't know that this is Gabriel. I don't think it is, or he would have said, Gabriel came to me again, because he recognized Gabriel. He says, on the, but, but look at the, so Gabriel said, on the, on the moment you started praying, I was sent, and here I am. Now look at how different it is this time. He says, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God. So how many days ago was that? 21 days ago, the angel is saying, your words were heard and I have come in response to your words. So the minute you started praying, Daniel, my, our heavenly father said, go get him. Go tell him. But, verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that's a demon, was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. I want to stop there just for a second. Now, you remember when I said that, that, that Cyrus, that God called back in Isaiah... God says, a hundred years later, this man named Cyrus is going to rise up and he's going to release my people. I wonder if that wasn't the moment that Cyrus made the decree because the, because the spiritual force of darkness, this prince of Persia, who'd been messing with Cyrus's mind the whole time, has to now turn his attention to this angel who was fighting him. And because he has turned his attention away from the king, of, king Cyrus and, and is now fighting this angel, whatever that looks like, that now that frees up God's 
like, that frees up God's messenger to go to Cyrus and say, now it's time. And I wonder if all that happened because Daniel was praying, because that's why the angel went and did it. And now it says, now I have come to give you an understanding that will happen to the people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. So he's, he's sort of telling him, hey, and Daniel doesn't go into a lot of detail about this, but he's telling him, hey, this is, I, I'm going to sort of tell you some of the same stuff eventually I'm going to tell John on the island of Patmos. And then he says in verse 15, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face to the ground and became speechless. Because as we'll see in Revelation 6 through 19, there's a lot there that'll rock your world. Verse 16, and behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips, it's an, an angel, and, and then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O oh my Lord, as, I have, as, as a result of this vision, anguish has come upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just no strength in me. N nor has any breath been left in me. Then this one with the, appearance, with, with the human appearance touched me and ag again and strengthened me. And he said to me, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. There's our part in this process. Do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke this to me, I received strength and said, may my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you understand why I have come to you? So you get the scene here, guys, in this, in this passage that I just read. There are three archangels referenced in the Bible, like, like overseers of the angels. One of them is Gabriel. He seems to be in charge of the message because God sends him every time there's a message. Mary, Daniel, whatever. There's Michael, I just referenced him. He's, he's referenced in verse 13. Michael shows up and takes on the fight against this prince of Persia, this demon, so that the angel can finish his job. Michael seems to be in charge of God's armies. We see that in Revelation. We'll see it in Revelation. And then the third one was Lucifer, who we know as Satan or the deceiver or the dragon. And at some point before he created Adam and Eve, Lucifer... Before God created Adam and Eve, Lucifer's heart rebelled because of pride, which is what we all struggle with. And, and, he, and he turned his heart against the things of God and he took a third of his brothers with him. And Michael and his army fought them and cast them to earth. And that's the fight. Guys, that's where the fight starts. Guys, do you get that? The, the fight is not only our flesh. Yes, my biggest enemy is me. But my next biggest enemy is not Carrie. It's not my daughters who aren't listening to me. It's not you people that won't do what I tell you to do. It's not what, it's, it's not, a, it, my next biggest enemy is the enemy who is the God of this world, who is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if we don't recognize that, we don't take the fight to the right spot. Your conflict in your marriage is a spiritual problem. And if you don't, fight there, you don't win. You can't. You might calm, and then it'll come back up again. The fight in your own heart is a spiritual fight. We are not immune to the effects of Satan just because we're saved. 
Now, he can't steal our, he, he can't, we don't lose our salvation. He can't control us. We are not, we are under no obligation to, listen to this. We are under no obligation to do what Satan or his demons tell us to do. We just are so happy to do it. He can't make you do anything. Any of you remember Flip Wilson? Back in the 60s, right? Geraldine. The devil made me buy that dress. Like that was the whole skit on TV. It wasn't a Christian thing. But, but there was some th- actually some pretty good theology there in the wrong way. His excuse for everything was, the devil made me do it. No, if you're a believer, that's not true. If you're an unbeliever, that absolutely can be true. But he does have influence over us. The question is, are we strengthening the angels? Are we doing our part? Are we doing what verse 19 says, to not be afraid, be at peace, be, take courage and be courageous. Because guys, just like the angels strengthened Daniel, we strengthen them. Guys, just like the angel strengthened Daniel, we strengthen them. I'm going to read, read, read the rest of the passage and we're going to begin to close up. It says, in verse 20, it says, but I shall now return. So this is the angel talking to Daniel. I'm now going to return and fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth. And behold, the prince of Greece, that's the one that would raise up um, Alexander the Great, is about to come. Now get this, guys. This, this, this saddens my heart when I think about how little I pray for our partners in the gospel. The angels. He says, Forever, However I tell you what is inscribed on the writing of, is the truth. Now get this, guys. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me except these forces, against these forces except Michael, your prince. There's no one that stands. Guys, I wonder. I wonder if the reason darkness was growing in Daniel's time was because God's people stopped praying and the angels grew weak. And I wonder if that same thing is happening in the churches today. Do you remember when the guys were teaching through the seven churches? To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, to the angel of the church. I wonder if because God's people have stopped praying, the angels that are fighting on our behalf are growing weak. I wonder if, if they're sitting up there right now going, guys, we're on the same team. Why don't you fight for us? We're fighting for you. So how do we fight? Well, we pray. Prayer moves the arm that moves the world, Spurgeon said. I wonder if that's because prayer moves God to move his angels on our behalf. You're going to see that this week in the daily readings. But guys, we have to pray. If we want to strengthen the angels, we have to pray. If we want to see revival at Cornerstone Church, we have to pray. Guys, I, I, ref- I refuse to let this go. It's the reason why in March we rearranged our schedule to make room for prayer time before this time because that's really where the fight is happening. And if you've never been, I want to know why. I want to know if you really believe this to be the truth of God's word and you really believe that we're partnering with the angels, why are you not showing up? There are a thousand answers you have in your head right now. None of them are good. None of them. There's not. I don't mean every time from 9.15 to 9.45. I mean sometime. Show up at 9.30. Show up once a month. But show up. We usually start with about 20 people. By the time 9.30 comes around, we have 40 or 50. I want to know why there aren't 100. 
Guys, that's where the fight's going to be won. That's where the fight for your family is going to be won. That's where the fight for your soul is going to be, for the, of, the, of those that are not saved, is going to be won. It's not sitting here listening to me. It's calling on the, on the host of heavenly armies to come down and do battle on our behalf during this time. Because there are a thousand reasons not to follow after God like Daniel did. There are. I get it. But we cannot look at Daniel's life and go, man, I wish I had the, the experience with God he did without doing what he was doing because that's why he experienced it. Because we need to get a bigger picture of the God we serve. That's the bottom line. We need, and what I mean by bigger picture is we need to get a picture of what's going, not just what's going on here and here, and, but what's going on there and here. As the music team comes up and the lights go down, I'm going to ask the question one more time. So how do we see life through spiritual eyes? Okay, here's how. We embrace the truth of the gospel. But it's got to be the whole gospel. And what I mean by the whole gospel isn't just that we're sinners and that what we preach here all the time. Here's what I mean today by the whole gospel. That, that when Christ came to die on the cross, he came to redeem all of creation. All of creation. Except for two groups. The angels that rebelled and the people that won't bow their knee willingly. That's it. Because there is not a molecule in all, not just in your little world, my little world, and, and, and everything that consumes my, my being in your business or your, or, your, or your family, like all this stuff. Because there is no part of any of that or any galaxy anywhere that Jesus doesn't look and say, mine. It's mine. All of it. That's what I mean by getting a bigger picture. Because if we got a bigger picture of that God... Who's like, you know what, I'm coming back. And when I come back, all of creation will declare my glory. All of creation will sing my praise. All of creation will bow before me. Not because, at that point, because we have to, but because we'll finally realize, oh my. How pathetic am I? How feeble my faith. He came and lived and died and rose again for you and for me. And he's coming again in glory and his heavenly hosts and those that have gone to be with him are going to come back with him. So what's keeping you from coming? Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, proclaims the truth of God's word like you just heard today, and they stone him to death. And as he is being stoned and the life is being taken from him, it says that I looked to heaven and I saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Every other time Jesus is sitting. Not that time. Why? Because Daniel was declaring kingdom glory. And Jesus is like, you're mine. You're mine. Come home. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth that you are doing all things well. Lord, I thank you for the glimpse, the, the unveiling that we see where you're, you're pulling back the veil 
and you're showing us reality, what really is. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get lost in all the details and trying to figure out the math other than to say, man, our God, you are in control. You're in control of every molecule. So we may, may we find our rest. May we not be afraid. May we be at peace. Lord, help us to just settle down into you. But let that look like pressing into you further. Let that look like a hot-hearted pursuit of you. Let that look like sharing you with a world that needs to know that you're still working. That you haven't worked all these details out and sent your son to die on a cross to go, oh no, what now? The victory is ours. It's already, it is already finished because Jesus said so. But until it is fully accomplished, I pray that you would just work in us so that you would work through us. In Jesus' name, amen.